When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Business Insider published an article calling this the summer of hell for Wall Street, filled with extreme volatility, extreme uncertainty. We've already seen the market crash into a bear market territory because of the runaway inflation, interest rates going up, war in Europe, lockdowns in China, recession fears, all of that leaving investors with nowhere to hide. The anonymous investor that Business Insider spoke with said that the markets could drop of hell. We are Dumb Money, three friends who turn $30,000 into $30 million using nothing more than Twitter and a zero commission trading account. The suits that work on Wall Street, they call those people the smart money. That's not us. Our goal is to help level the playing field for everyday investors. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here along with Chris and Jordan. We are Dumb Money. This is a special vacation edition of Dumb Money Live. It has been a minute or maybe a week or two since we've been on. So it is more important now than ever that you all do your part and smash that like button. Uh, Chris Jordan, we did have a couple of green days, but nothing to get too excited about, not not doing enough to undo the damage done to the market. But yeah, we've been through these kind of markets before. We've learned, we've made mistakes. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully we've learned more and we won't make the same mistakes again. But where do we go from here? I think I think it's really important uh, just to kind of frame where I think I think to frame how Wall Street sees this right like like how do most people kind of see this moment in time that article that we're kind of basing this at least this title off of today Dave had one really yeah. important summary paragraph I just want to read it I think it's you know there's no reason for people to read the whole article this is essentially the summary of how it could all end, okay? Because I, I think d- to move forward, you have run scenarios of how you think this is going to play out. There's more than one scenario. They have three scenarios. We could debate them whether we think they're missing one uh, or which of these three we think will play out. So they say there are three ways this could end. The Fed could pull off its Olympian Balancing Act, meaning the U.S. would see a brief period of slower growth, but inflation would recede and things would go back to normal, whatever that, that, whatever that means now. Another option is stagflation. That means the Fed's interest rate hikes are unable to tame inflation, but the economy still slows, leading to a double whammy of high prices and miserable employment. That's bad, okay? Uh, lastly, interest rate hikes could seize up lending in the U.S., screw up our current robust jobs market, and push us into a recession. So two of those three scenarios sound pretty darn bad. The first scenario seems like the best, but really isn't something that's going to like play out overnight, right? Yeah, really difficult to pull that off. That the, the soft landing of inflation and not screwing up everything along the way is... It, how, how does that even work, right? I'll yeah, I mean, it doesn't, right? So, I mean, so, you know, the Fed has pretty blunt instruments. And so the only thing that they can really do for inflation 
is to destroy the economy, right? And so that's what they're aiming to do is to destroy asset values and, you know, push things down the line and eventually destroy um, employment. I mean, you're already starting to see talks of layoffs, uh, little small layoffs here and there. Robinhood had a small amount of layoffs, but I think it's going to continue. I heard rumors of Microsoft. Um, uh, they're not laying off yet, but they are slowing employment. Amazon, we've had headlines uh, that they are, quote unquote, overstaffed. Um, and that's all to do with uh, the Fed destroying um, the economy. That's really that's their only tool to destroy. The and, and Amazon not only overstaffed, but they also have over uh, bought warehouse real estate, and they're trying to offload a lot of that too. So a lot too. So ten million square feet. I think I saw stats that you know what they have right now is something like forty-five to fifty million square feet. So I mean, you're talking up to twenty percent. Yeah. of, you know, their square footage that they could be. Now, they're not going to do it in, like, major metros, right? And so DFW, I think, you know, any of the warehouse employees there probably feel pretty good about their jobs. But um, in some of the smaller places where they were making a push, you know, I think those are, you know, those are going to be under pressure. D- Dave, can and you explain seen, why we... our audio is off today? People are all complaining. They need to understand this is not a normal uh, studio episode. Dave is in the Tetons, right? Uh, on a different system today. Trying to make this who's, work. Uh, yeah, whose audio is the worst? Probably mine because I'm just using laptop speakers uh, and the built-in built-in uh, microphone. I brought my whole kit and I had it set up. We were planning to do this show yesterday, but we had to push it. So I had to pack all that up because we're checking out of this place today and heading to Yellowstone. I'm in, I'm at Grand Tetons right now. You would, would not believe the view. I can't show it because the, the lighting would be even worse than the audio, but... Um, it's, let me you just can show, you show it, Dave. Show it. Show you the view. So, this this is the window I would want to stand in front of because it, the view is amazing. But when I'm here, it tries to do that. But look look at this look at this view. Oh, dude, that is so great. I love it, dude. Jo- Jordan is just gr- dying to get on those bike right here. <laughs> Yeah, Jordan, that's you definitely so need to. Uh, I'm totally look at those mountains in the background. First of all, beautiful. I mean, that's the exact kind of. Pl- oh no, the authorities are coming for Dave. Oh, well, yeah. The uh, the thing is, we, we check out here today. That's probably uh, housekeeping. Wondering why I'm still here. <laughs> so but I had to my, do this. Show. My bad, because I was the one that double booked yesterday, and we had to push the episode, and that's what's pushing us into our stupid uh, audio issues today. So my bad, um, guys. This. The one thing we can say for sure is that there's an insane amount of uncertainty right now, and you cannot trust anything that's happening day to day because the story changes every day, dependent upon what earnings. Macy's came out with actual a decent earnings report today, right? And that was positive for the market. We have no idea what's going to come tonight, what's going to come tomorrow. Um, new reports on employment, new reports on inflation, comments out of the Fed, uh, issues coming out of China. You know, the Russia-Ukraine situation is still evolving. We still don't have clarity on what that is going to look like. Honestly, like, there's just so much confusion in the market, and that's why we're calling this the summer of hell, because we just are not going to have a lot of clarity. And I feel like if you take a strong position in the market, long or short, you're not going to get a lot of sleep this summer because it's, I feel like we have no idea how it's going to end up come late August, 
but don't you agree that we're probably going to have a lot of up and a lot of downs? And a lot, well, just, we don't know what's going to happen, but I want to make a point. So I saw, I saw a note uh, come across from Kiev, K-E-I-V. Um, Amazon is still hiring engineers left and right. And I think that's correct, right? So, I, But I think that's part of the problem in that people that are on kind of the upper middle to, you know, upper sections of the, you know, income spectrum aren't feeling it. They're not seeing it. They don't really understand that there's a huge problem. The problem is that people on the lower side of the income spectrum are really getting pinched, right? And so those are the ones that are stopping spending. So everything's more expensive. Gas is more expensive. Their groceries are more expensive. Um, You know, they've got rent. It's more expensive. They've got a house. Their, uh, you know, their property tax bill is going up. Um, and so they're getting squeezed from all angles. And so their spending um, is going to have to be really concentrated on just those things that they need to survive, right? Um, we're already seeing that people are um, that have, have more credit card debt and that they're, uh, I think Equifax came out with some stats saying that uh, people on the lower end of the uh, credit quality spectrum, they're starting to see, um, you know, some missed payments and things like that. And so that's where the concern really is, um, is that, you know, you don't really think about, we don't, you know, at least, you know, you and I don't see that as much where we live, but um, there are some people that are getting squeezed pretty hard. And those are the areas of the economy that are getting hit first. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why discretionary has been taking a, a huge hit lately because people don't have the money to spend. Like they did when they were getting checks from the government. Right. And that's and, and things are more expensive. Right. So it's like, it's double. So that's why but we've seen both discretionary and lower cost items. Walmart's targets have a huge problem. But then the ones that I would think would be safer, like the higher end, more expensive Amazons and Tesla also completely falling apart. And Tesla, there's so many. Yeah, so, but Amazon, look, here's the deal. Amazon is on that. Tesla's just overpriced, right? So but Amazon is, um, you know, they're a big discretionary you know, as much as you want to say that they're a tech company and they are AWS, that's where the engineer is being hired. That's where all their growth is. But on the discretionary side, people use Amazon to buy, um, you know, toilet paper and all sorts of things, um, basic necessities, um, as well as discretionary type items, right? And so they're getting hit on their retail side um, and on the cost side, right? Because it's more expensive to operate that business with, you know, on the logistics side, energy um, and wages and things, you know, things like that. And so, um, you're seeing margin squeeze and um, the discretionary hit um, on Amazon's side of the business. I mean, if you look at where is Amazon classified, they're, just, they're a consumer discretionary company, they're not a tech company. Yes. I'm, I'm really concerned. And by the way, I want to say we, we will get we will bring this episode back to oh. Social Arb uh, in a bit. OK, so just just hold on for that. But I am super concerned about Amazon. It's still pretty much my number one position in my portfolio has been for a while. Uh, it's currently hedged. But I'm concerned because they essentially spent the last 18 months ramping up, not for this economy, right? Like they, they, they were ramping up. I mean, they have to be so overstaffed right now. This could be a really painful quarter, I think, or two for Amazon as they right size, you know, their distribution, right? They have to write. There's a lot of stuff that has to get right size. In fact, we're seeing inventory buildup starting to happen at a lot of retailers. I'm seeing reports of retailers that have 
just stacks of built-up inventory they can't get into the store. And that's to be expected after months and months of being at risk of not being able to have inventory. They were ordering and over-ordering where they could to ensure that they would have inventory, right? And now that some of that supply has loosened up and perhaps some of the demand has tapered off just a tad bit because of inflation, right? Because of pricing, this presents a major, major issue. Now, I know we're getting- Well, because of inflation, pricing, and um, lack of stimulus dollars, right? And so- you know, you've got what you've got to think about is how much money was poured into people's checking accounts um, in late 2020 and early 2021. It, that was a huge effect to consumer discretionary that people don't really think about, and that has gone away along with the higher prices, right? Um, the higher prices and getting squeezed. Look, I mean, so not everybody lives in Texas, but in Texas we have a weird situation where uh, we have deregulation in the. Um, you know, pricing model for energy, right? And so we've got all these independent energy companies that compete for prices. Well, so last year, if you renewed your energy plan, you could get like nine cents a kilowatt, which is great. But if I can you barely hear you, Jordan. And so people's electric bills are going to double this year, right? And you don't think about that being a huge issue, but that could be a huge issue for spending coming up. Not just the gas tank. Yeah, I, I mean, listen... I, I would tend to agree. And what happens to consumer confidence if we s start to see more layoffs in the next 30 to 60 days? Um, also, if housing prices start to taper off, which hasn't happened yet, but we have seen a reduction in transactions, uh, real estate transactions, although prices are currently high. We know that price, you know, price changes usually lag. Uh, transactional um, data in, in terms of volume data on uh, housing transactions. So that's probably to come. I think the entire real estate market has been bracing for that, but it has implications for consumer sentiment at large. I'm concerned about that. Uh, also, we're seeing some, you know, I spent a lot of time on TikTok and I, I spent a lot of time on real estate TikTok and I'm seeing a lot of anecdotal data the last seven to 10 days or 14 days with real estate agents for the first time in a very long time, uh, seeing significant drop-offs in their open house traffic, right? I mean, significant. We're talking about 70, 80, in some cases, 90% less uh, open house traffic than they're accustomed to. And there's just been a major change here recently. I, listen, I, people are asking, hey, I, I saw one comment. I'm worried about the dumb money community. Where have you guys been? You know, we said this a few weeks ago, a month ago, I, I've been tweeting this. This is a time to do less. Um, this is a time to not overthink. Uh, this is actually a time to take, uh, you know, your foot off the pedal, uh, de-lever, um, clean up your portfolio, not make any sudden moves, not speculate too much, not take on a lot of risk. Um, we're still working. Like we're still, I, I listen, I'm still spending probably four to five hours a day trying to identify social ARB opportunities. And I found what I believe is a really big one that will be the, the topic of our next show. Uh, but e and, and in fact, it's high conviction. Uh, it, it's one that we've talked about many times here, but I'm still concerned because the macro environment rules this market, right? So like you could only have so much conviction in an individual equity play inside of this market. So you want to shorten up your trading window. Uh, if there's a stock that you think uh, has earned, you know, the stock that has earnings two months from now, two and a half months from now, 
uh, that you think information will start to leak out on as we get closer to earnings if, if we'll start to reach information parity, meaning the rest of the market will start to realize what you're seeing today. Do I want to be in that stock heavy and levered for 60 days in this market? If the market can turn down 10%, absolutely not, right? It's really dangerous. So we're not as hyped to come on the air multiple times a week to talk about social arb trades because it's just not a safe environment for social arb trading. We've been saying this for a while, for months now, and we hope it gets back to that point, but it's not there, there yet. Are there any trades that you're looking at based on the Twitter uh, the, uh, Twitter and TikTok you're, you know, on real estate? You, you Anecdotally, you're hearing less, uh, less open houses, but are there housing plays? We, we know interest well, rates the problem, are going up. Dave, we know that mortgage rates are going to get to insane levels. It's going to force housing prices down. The, the problem, Dave, is that that trade is so baked in at this point. Everyone's been talking about that for 30 to 60 days now in, intensely. So, you know, the market is well aware that the real estate market is about to turn. The residential real estate market is about to turn. It is turning. Um, those stocks are correcting. At the same time, we still have institutional buyers of residential real estate that are still acquiring properties in mass to convert to rental units. That's an entirely new business model that we've seen pop up in the last few years. Um, so you have to ask yourself, you know, to what extent will that be a counterweight to less actual real buyers coming into the market buying those homes because of interest rates and the increased expense of mortgaging a home? We don't really know. Like, nobody really knows. There's a lot of uncertainty, so it's really difficult to get into, to understand what investor expectations are for, for mortgage companies right now, for the real estate brokers right now, for the home builders right now. There are still home builders, uh, although they'll be producing potentially less homes, there's institutional buyers that are willing to lock up those home builders for a while, just building thousands, tens of thousands of new homes just for their development. So didn't Goldman Sachs just buy an entire housing development, right? I mean, there's too much uncertainty. So it's speculation, and there's too many factors at play related to that kind of real estate trade, any of those real estate trades right now. I, listen, someone's going to be right, someone's going to be wrong. I think it's hard to have high conviction in that sector right now. So I'm staying away so, from it. I'm, I'm guys, I'm looking at sectors that are being ignored right now. Right. I'm, and, and that's I'm, where I'm, I'm, this, this is a comment from passive income investor, forget social arb, just buy fundamental stocks. They're all down most exciting time in the market, which that's where I'm, I haven't sold anything. I don't have regular income, so I don't have all this new money to put in, but I have, I've been doing little hedges using put options, just, to feel better and be able to sleep at night when, when we see a giant red day. Um, but I'm staying true to the investing that I've always done. I have not made huge shifts other than hedging some of those plays. Dave, you know, hedging with options is really difficult right now, just because the market's so up and down. I mean, it, it, it will, the psychology of it, I almost think of um, George from Seinfeld, like when he used to say, he he figured out 
how to live life, which was just essentially doing the opposite of what he would normally do and saying the opposite. I kind of yeah. feel that way about this market. Like whatever you think is going to happen, probably the opposite is going to happen. So like when you have a big red day, we get nervous buying those puts, the premiums are expensive. It usually reverses within a few days temporarily because then it reverses again. And you, you're always going to make the wrong moves. I'm not buying. I'm I'm doing that. I'm playing the opposite, and I buy puts on green days. And you well, know, good for you. I mean, that's really difficult to do, Dave. It's near very impossible. People, <laughs> very few people have the mindset um, to be able to execute on that type of trading. Uh, listen, that that we, trading we strategy worked. We know. So we we like for me. I'm not selling everything. I, I made that mistake back in the dot-com crash, right? I'm not selling everything. So, I, I, I listen, I'm not going to give away the topic of our next episode because it was supposed to be this week's episode, but we felt like, you know, going into earlier this week when the market was completely destructive, uh, we felt we had to do this episode first, and it would be just awkward to, to do a social ARB episode during essentially another market crash. But I, I am trying to focus, I'm not a fundamental investor, but I am trying to focus on social ARB information-based trades on equities that have great fundamentals because of this most recent market crash. Because in those situations, there's a higher degree of trust that, the market will react how you think the market will react once that information, if you're correct, uh, that information that's going to essentially signal higher sales, let's say, for the quarter plays out because it's not like, well, they did great, but they're already trading at a 90 PE and that's just not going to work in this market. We expected them to do even better to trade at a 90 PE. So if you could find a company that's trading in a single digit PE that where something is happening with that company's product mix that is spectacular, that is getting overlooked because of the noisy macro environment and people just don't care to figure out what products are trending or what cultural shifts are happening with consumers right now because they're so consumed by the macro environment. If you could find companies that are trading in that range that are highly profitable, that you think are going to you know, knock it out of the park uh, with their earnings this next quarter, those are opportunities that I'm interested in. And like, we'll discuss that during our next episode because we can't, it's just inappropriate for today. But that's kind of where I'm spending my time right now. I'm not trying to figure out if Tesla, I know everyone's talking about Tesla, but I'm not trying to figure out if Tesla is going to have a great quarter because there's so many factors when it comes to how people value Tesla. What Elon is going to say tomorrow, do people trust Elon in this environment, listen, in this environment, people want certainty. And whether you love Tesla or hate Tesla, the one thing you cannot debate right now is that Elon is being really erratic. He's having one of those moments that he has on and off. We, we love him, but he's having one of those moments to where he's just, I, I, I don't want to, this is kind of, I'm not going to say his meds are up, but like, he's just, he's, he's so all over the place. This is not what you want in leadership during a period like this 
where you don't know if your leader is going to take over another unrelated company and be focused on that, if they're going to run for president, if they're going to say something that's going to make half the country hate their brand or make investors think that half the country might hate their brand and sell it off, even if that's not a realistic scenario. You just There's so much uncertainty around Elon. I don't want to play that game. I own some Tesla. I love Tesla. I hope it does great long term, but I'm not going to over lever myself right now in Tesla. There's just, it's just not the environment for it. I don't think it's the environment to over lever yourself in anything. I still have my position in Tesla, but I have a very small margin position. And that is purely because I keep taking money out to pay for vacations. Yeah. <laughs> I just want, I pay, I pay a small interest fee for uh, borrowing my own money. That, uh, so um, Noah wants your thoughts on LAC during this time. Seems very risky to have such a huge position in a non-producing asset. That I'm not in LAC. Question. Chris, I know that you are. Great question. Um, I've had to make some really difficult choices the last 30 to 45 days because like Dave, I don't have income. Uh, and I found a stock that I really like that we'll talk about in our next episode. And I had to figure out what to sell. So I basically sold some of everything in my portfolio that wasn't already up huge. I can't sell Amazon because my Amazon is up like 800% from where I bought it. And I do not want to pay taxes on it. So I had to sell some of my LAC because it was like roughly even with where I, where I bought it. Um, I, I still own a ton of LAC. I own a lot. Um, but I did have to sell, um, I would say, 30% of my LAC to um, find some liquidity to get into this other trade. So I still like, nothing has changed with LAC. There's nothing, nothing at all has changed. In fact, what's really sad is some of the other lithium players who are actually making, who are profitable today, generating revenue, have done exceptionally well the last couple of months relative to the overall market. LAC just happens to be one of the most more speculative lithium stocks because they're years away from generating any type of meaningful revenue. The market hates that right now. Let's be honest, they hate it. So LAC side of most of the lithium miners that we've seen, just because they're not actually mining yet. They're not mining yet, and that's not a good place to be in a market like no. this. Um, but again, my thesis hasn't changed, so I still own a big chunk of LAC. I just had a I had to find liquidity across the portfolio. And then one um, other question about And then I'm forty percent cash right now. So do with that what you will. Jordan, that's a great place to be. Listen, that's a great place to be right now. I think I think we have to for those of y'all that haven't been through these type of market fluctuations, by the way, n- nice to meet you too, Sam Bailey. I met him at VCon, uh fun conference. I'm not super bullish on NFTs right now, but it was a fun conference, uh, and I met one of our um, our uh, viewers. But here's the thing: what was I just saying, Jordan? For that, I don't know. It's a good place to be in cash right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you have to be prepared for these kind of rip, rip roaring correction days where we we're gonna jump up a thousand points, right? I am not afraid of those days. I don't necessarily think this environment, I could be wrong, is going to lead to us trading back to all-time highs in the next few months. Like, I I am not concerned with that. I think we will have these huge days where the market corrects, and that's because people are so hedged right now 
that when the market starts to move up, like we said, Dave, they, they start to get out of their hedge. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't lose all this money in my hedge. Are we ba- are we fine now? Is everyone good? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of retail traders are like, I don't need to be hedged anymore because the hedge is really expensive. And by the way, I'm dying to buy more Shopify and more this and more that. Maybe I should just go ahead and buy them now that they're starting to move. This is just a seesaw. I think it's going to happen all summer long. I could be wrong, but I don't think we're moving up 25% over the course of the summer. I mean, that said, expect the unexpected, right? I mean, when's the last time the market has moved in the short term on a macro level as everyone expected it would? Here's the thing. You don't know what's going to happen because think about how many people are short the market right now. And so if something were to happen, think about all those positions getting unwound. I mean, it could have a huge effect. You just don't know. You don't know when that's yeah, going to happen. So, Jordan, we have, that's why you have to run the scenarios. Like, yeah. what would happen to – and this is what I'm thinking about every day. Because I'm like, should I be longer in the market? Should I take my hedge off? For those of you that have been, have been following us, uh, you, you don't know that about at least half of my long portfolio is, is hedge with SPY and triple Q short, a short position, okay? So I, I've been hedged for a long time. When should I take that hedge off? That's, I ask myself every single day, when should I take the hedge off? And I'm trying to run scenarios in my head that would cause the market to jump up 10, 15, 20%, right? 10, 15% over a short period of time. And I'm just, guys, it, it, put in the comments, if you have a scenario that would cause us to shoot up 10, 15% market-wide, let's let's look at it i can't think of one in the next few months other than russia ukraine like russia ukraine completely like shake hands and like we're all good right like we're all good that would be a monumental i think sentiment shift for europe that would also have a positive impact here what else could happen that would enable us to be like, we're good. The the new market's about to start. Like everyone's like, everybody wants to get to the next market because this market sucks. We've been waiting for it forever. We're in it now. It's a sucky market. We just don't know if it's going to last for a month or three years. That's what nobody knows. So like, yeah. I just think it's going to last for more than two months though. I, no, I How I does agree. it last for less than two months? I agree. And, but I think it's just a waiting game and I don't want to be out of the market because I was, I I had hedged so much during the great crash of 2020 uh, and I didn't get back in fast enough. So even though we, I mean, we did super well during that time, just imagine had we timed it right. But that's the thing. You can't time the mic. We're, we're not going to be able to find the bottom and perfectly take your hedge off and just plow back into, uh, to levered plays. We're not going to be able to do it. So I'm just staying with investments that I like. For, you know, I mean, the Fed comes out with estimates for GDP growth. Right now, they keep getting revised down. And so while that's happening, it's not going to do well for equities. As long as the Fed is talking, it's not going to do well for equities. Right? And so I think, you know, I think that there are certain indicators that you can look for to, to sort of say, okay, maybe... You know, we can uh, plow back in or take off our shorts or something, but it's and at this not. Point, it's it's anything the Fed does that isn't already priced into the market, right? We know we we he, he's said. Well, we're, I think right now the expectation is different from what's different, right? And so that's I think people keep expecting that okay, well the market's down twenty percent, 
So now the Fed's going to back off a little bit. Or um, CPI is going to back off by like half a percent and go from eight to seven and a half. And now the Fed's going to back off. And when they don't, and when they, you know, hold their line, I think that, you know, that's, that's incrementally bearish, right? And so it's not necessarily that they have to do something different. They've been telling us the exact same thing for like three or four or five months now. Um, yep. But it, oh. it gets more disturbing as we realize that they're willing to, um, you know, let a recession come in or let, you know, demand get destroyed to, to, you know, to come after this problem. And the problem is, you know, they really can't fix energy prices, which are the biggest portion of inflation with interest rates, but yet they're willing to use those interest rates to try to control energy prices. And so that's, you know, it's unfortunately, it's, it's just going to hurt the economy as that happens. And I, I agree with what you're saying with the Fed. And I listen, that's, I mean, I think we all know that obviously if the Fed starts to slow down or indicates that they're going to slow down or, I mean, can you imagine reverse, if people are talking about that kind of reverse ways, but, but I just don't see that happening in the next 60 to 75 days, because I don't think market conditions in terms of the economy, I don't think we're going to see enough there to kind of cause the Fed to want to to do that. So, And I believe that we'll see that coming before it happens. So I don't think that's realistic. I think, yes, if China... Well, you can keep an eye on... So, I mean, the biggest thing you can keep an eye on is energy prices, right? Because that affects everything. It's not just what goes in your gas tank, which is what a lot of people think. It's the operating expense of the economy. And so that's a reason that you're seeing, you know, expenses go up across the board in a lot of these... Um, you know, retail or consumer discretionary type companies is because they're having to spend a lot more money on fuel, even indirectly, just shipping costs are influenced by fuel, right? And so, you know, it's uh, that that's the biggest one. We're already starting to see certain things, um, you know, get less expensive. Certain commodities are coming down. Um, I think used car prices are coming down. There's some of those things that are starting to work their way through, but energy is the you know, kind of the last dog out there that just keeps, it just keeps staying. Okay, so, so Jordan, and I listen, I, I think energy prices are so high right now that even if they came down meaningfully from these levels, they would still be historically high. Um, I can't see a scenario where those that stand to benefit from these high energy prices, we know who they all are, um, are going to cut them and allow them to fall by 50% in the next two and a half months. I just, I because we still, it takes longer to wind down demand on energy, like Jordan is saying, all of the infrastructure projects, right? All of the stuff that has been kind of coming out of the pandemic that is still in ramp up mode. Remember, we're still in ramp up mode from the pandemic. So at some point we're gonna plateau, okay? And potentially if we're in a recession, theoretically come back down a little bit. But I don't think that's in the next two and a half months. So I'm not seeing a situation where energy prices, you know, get dramatically slashed. Well, here's the other problem. It's global. So energy is not just a United States thing. You've got um, China's coming out of lockdowns and potentially, um, I think, I think like last week or two weeks ago, the central bank came out and uh, um, lowered their two-year yield, right? And so they're going to be easing potentially. And so if that happens... Look out because the China economy could start growing again and, um, you know, start consuming a lot more energy. So, yeah. So, like, 
Is there a realistic scenario, a realistic scenario where this isn't a summer from hell? And what I mean by that is I'm not saying we're going to to get another market crash. I'm saying where this is a summer to where the worries kind of are behind us and we can kind of look forward to the next market. I think it the summer hell to me means summer of uncertainty. Summer and I think of the kind of best case scenario. Yeah, the best case scenario for the summer of hell is basically not much happens. We don't want it. We, it's going to go up and down and up and down. I just don't want it to keep net going down, down, down. But I don't want to be net net negative. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be like short the market because historically we don't have the market go down for extended periods of time um so jordan if you if we go back to because you're our macro guy like if we go back to those three scenarios that the article put out what do you think is the most likely do you think the most likely is that we'll see a the period of slower growth will be brief inflation recedes we go back to normal do you think we get stagflation or do we get this whole you know seizing up of u.s lending which completely messes with the job market pushes us into a a pretty bad recession what do you think is likely to happen there um yeah I i mean i can't predict the future so who knows right i just know that uh you've got companies already predicting earnings slowdowns and you've got the fed looking at uh you know either slowing or flat GDP growth, maybe even we get into negative GDP growth. And, that, and in that case, you are talking a recession. And so I don't, I think we're early yet to say that we're going to have some like huge disastrous event. Um, but we're not seeing the conditions that are conducive for growth right now. And so, you know, if you just think about it that way, like, what are you going to do? You know, what kind of stocks do you want to be in? What kind of, uh, you know, where do you want to invest? You know, when there's no growth, why would you want to be in growth? And so that's where that's where I'm at when I'm looking at, you know, what I'm in. And so that's where I'm taking down exposure is in growth companies. And Jordan, you are the most conservative of you know investing styles. And so inquiring minds want to know. Alex wants to know, are you are you listening for something specific before you get back in heavier, or are you just going to kind of wait it out? Yeah, so um, my answer to that would be, it's not like I'm either in or out because I've still got half my portfolio dedicated to stocks, you know, a lot in cash or cash equivalent type things um, or, you know, some a little bit of fixed income. But um, it's just where do you want to be when there are certain things going on? And so if the economy is growing, in earn, you've got earnings growing, where do you want to be? And I think you want to be in growth companies. If you see the opposite happening and you see um, all the Fed presidents and start to come out and say, okay, well, we're seeing either zero to negative GDP growth and you're starting to see companies come out with you know, lower guidance, um, that's not growth. And so why would you want to be in growth companies when there's no growth? What, what concerns me is a recession that would lead to promotional pricing discounting that starts to impact uh, retailers starts to impact brands at large um, 
where we start to see kind of meaningful, uh, you know, pullbacks in earnings revisions uh, across the consumer discretionary sector, uh, consumer confidence coming, you know, getting hit. Uh, that type of recession, I think we have a meaningful chance of that scenario playing out. It's probably the thing that worries me the most, um, especially as a social arb trader, because it impacts all companies, even the ones that are doing well. It's difficult to flourish in an environment where everybody around you is not doing well and everybody's discounting. We've come out of a, the pandemic where everyone was short on supply. Now everyone has too much supply. People are trying to get rid of all this supply. I, that would, to me, we've seen a monstrous correction in tech. Uh, we've seen a monstrous correction in kind of companies that had PE multiples and price to sales multiples that were just quite honestly ridiculous. Um, I'd hate to see that happen to the even more so to the broader market. Um, I think that's at risk this summer. I am going to stay hedged. Uh, I haven't touched my hedge position. I actually added to it a little bit. Uh, I am fine giving up gains the next two months. You know, like when we have days like today, my account is up. It's not up anywhere near where it would be if I didn't have that hedge on, but it, it's still up. Um, I'm assuming the market's going to go down a lot and up a lot and down a lot. And I just, I'm going to have a summer of doing less uh, I'll continue to look for social arb trades. My trade windows are going to be get really small when it comes to like levered or like over levered in a stock. Like this one we're going to talk about this next episode. I have a position in them. I've added to it, but I only have about a third of what I want to have in this stock because I'm so nervous having too much in this company over the next couple months. Uh, prior to them actually <laughs> releasing earnings or Wall Street having good transactional data to realize, oh my gosh, this company is killing it. So I'm just being super conservative. I mean, that's a different me from what? Remember seven, eight months ago, 75% yeah. levered nine months ago? I'm still 75, 80% levered, man. I just like, it was nuts. Now I'm 50% hedged completely across the board and I'm happy to make less. I, you, you can't get greedy in this market. You just can't get greedy. You can't get overconfident either. There's too many factors. There's too many scenarios. And by the way, every single investor, every institution has different opinions on which thing matters the most to them. So even if the Fed does something, if China does something else or Russia does something else, or if there's too much supply that inflation gets hit here domestically, like it's hard to tell what the market is going to care about most on any given day. And if that's the truth, and I believe it is, then screw it. I'm out, man. I'm just going to be like middle of the road. You know, I'll be, I'll be net long, but not too much net long until yeah. I can get more visibility on what the market actually cares about. So I could at least kind of make some decisions when I think I find alpha. I don't know what kind of alpha anybody could have in this market that matters because who the hell knows what – there's like eight different kinds of alpha and nobody knows which one people are going to care about. The, the, the $20 billion fund, right, what are they caring about that day? I, I don't know. And so you're essentially you've, – you've done the tax-friendly uh, tax way of selling in May and going away. 
you're just you're just going to be there like 50% net long and just wait it out. And a lot of people asking to see our actual positions. Um, I've, I've revealed frequently that my top three holdings are Tesla, Amazon, and uh, Apple, and they will continue to be. Everything else is a small percentage of my portfolio. Um, Chris has shown his portfolio from time to time, but it's at this point so hedged with shorts on the QQQ and the, and the spy that it, it's, it's almost irrelevant, but Chris, do you want to, do you want to share a, a kind of a mix of your top holdings right now? I mean, yeah, I, 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 I really slim down my holdings overall. Um, generally if I kind of sort from largest to smallest, Amazon is still my number one position only really truthfully because it's just gotten so large over the past 10 years that I, I can't, I just can't sell it. It's just the gain is like ridiculous. I can't take profits. My number two position is the mystery stock that we'll talk about on the next episode of Dumb Money. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I think we'll do that episode. Dave, can you do one early next week? Do I even know what this stock is? I don't know if I do. I think you do. I think you do. We do I own it? We were going to do that episode yesterday or two days ago, and we changed we changed it up. So, but it, you, all right, if you guys are good early next week, we'll discuss that stock. My third largest holding is uh, LAC. Uh, it's smaller than it was, but it's still yeah, my third yeah. largest holding. We'll, we'll be able to... Fourth is Apple. Uh, then I have Booking.com and then Playa, which are my two favorite, as you know, my, my two kind of big travel stocks. I did have a large position in Airbnb. I had to slim that down only because, again, Airbnb is a more speculative, higher PE ratio stock that the market, you know, you have to be careful with in this environment. Um, I do have NVIDIA, which oh, actually ended up being, oh, wow, NVIDIA is up today. Great. Uh, it was down yesterday on earnings uh, after hours. Uh, then I have SNMSF. Remember that one, guys? Spin Master. Still love Spin Master. By the way, Spin Master never got impacted by this bear market. Spin Master was one of our favorite stocks of the last year. We've done multiple episodes on it. We should we should we should come back to that one because there's actually new information related to Spin Master. We'll probably do another Spin Master episode soon uh, and talk about the new information related to Spin Master. Then I have a lot of stocks that are quite honestly pretty small. PLL, Shop, ALB, Lithium, LTHM, Caterpillar, Disney. Oh, there's my Airbnb. It's smaller holding now. MP, Tesla, DocuSign, Twilio, TLOFF, and that's it. I mean, I mean, guys, that's it. After that, I have, oh, I'm sorry, I have a few more. LIACF, BRCC, TCNNF, PLNHF, Square, TAP, of course, MNMD, CYDF. These are really small. These are so small at this point. These are some of these stocks I basically sold out of, um, but I kept just a tiny bit to remind myself to research them in the future because uh, I didn't feel they were good stocks in this environment to own any sort of meaningful position in. Uh, and then I have my hedges. I have a pretty massive hedge on QQQ, a pretty massive hedge on SPY, and um, I actually have an, an isolated hedge on Amazon, Dave, which I should not have done. I do that because I get so nervous with Amazon because yeah. it's such a big part of my portfolio. And when I saw that data with the warehouse data and overstaffing and, like, I just keep seeing all this negative data on Amazon. It's freaking me out. 
uh, in the short term. It's freaking me out. I love Amazon long term. Love it more than I've ever loved the company. Uh, but for short term, it's freaking me out. Well, so unless I felt you like just I had put that hedge on, you, you know, you, a partial it, hedge just on my Amazon position. But Amazon has been going down for the longest time, unless you just recently put that hedge on in the last few yeah, days. Yeah, I should have put it on a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I should have too. We've had that conversation. Like, is it time to get rid of our biggest holding? Right. But we never did. Um, hey, by I sold way, it, by the way. I sold it like in uh, um, January uh, or February. I sold it. Coffee. Hey, Chris, uh, you can't hear him. But Jordan just said that he has sold his Amazon. Yeah, I sold it in like January, February. I was out. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I know what's, I know what's coming. I mean, I don't know what's coming, but I have an idea of what's coming and I sold it. Um, Guys, bros missed earnings, and I was like, dude, I can't deal with, again, another high valuation uh, stock in this environment that's not nailing everything right now. So I didn't want to mess around with it. I sold it after hours when they missed earnings. I didn't have a lot of bros, as you remember. I had a very small position in them. I need to look for liquidity for high conviction trade. Listen, I rarely have a high conviction trade, rarely. I'm, I'm telling you I have one right now. But it, it comes with an asterisk. It's a high conviction trade with an asterisk for a super volatile market that I don't trust, right? And, and, and there's when we, t- when we do this episode early next week, you'll, the thing I will talk about that I'm most concerned about with this high conviction trade is that if we enter a recession and this competitors to this company start to mark down their products, it will negatively impact this company, no matter how good I think they're doing. So that is a caveat to this high conviction trade. I can't wait to talk about it. There's brand new information that I have, even though it's a stock we've talked about before, that I cannot wait to share uh, with the community. So again, stay tuned. That's coming early next week. I'm reviewing my um, old texts with you to figure out even what this company is. <laughs> But yes, oh, I, I've got I know what it is now. If I, I know still own Broadcom, I do. I was blindsided by the news that they're going to acquire um, VMware, and that sent the stock spiraling for a few days. Um, I actually thought about selling it in the 600s when it popped back up there, but uh, didn't. And now I'm sitting. Oh, it's like 550. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, I wouldn't I go buying it right Dave, now. I had, I had a breakfast meeting with your cousin. Yes, she told me. Yeah, discussing this trade because yes, she and she, she t- texted me to see if I had the same thoughts on one of their product lines. Yeah, I was like, Dave doesn't know anything about this company. Don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you, nobody, has anybody told me about this one? I mean, we talked about it text, over text, the, uh, but, but honestly, there. Jordan and Dave. I have not shared with you everything that I found on this. Like it's, it's, um, I like one of their product lines, but the one that you uh, have called out, I am very unsure of. So that is what makes for a great debate. So if you guys haven't yet subscribed to this channel, make sure you subscribe, turn on the bell because this next episode, we don't even know when it's going to be. I've got to find a place. I'm pretty sure I don't have great internet when I'm at Yellowstone. Um, I have good internet now. We're going to do this episode as soon as we possibly can, but subscribe, turn on notifications because that's the only way you're going to see it. All right. Later, everybody. Just and with survive. that, remember, thanks. don't over leverage. Just, we're not financial advisors. 
This is what we're doing. This is simply so we can share our thoughts with you and have you guys poke holes in it, do your own research, talk to your financial advisor and make your own decisions. We don't know what your risk tolerance is. Uh, so please, you know, just, just have your, do your own research, do your own stuff. Thanks. Guys. All right. We're done money. We will see you next time. <clears throat>